The passage this morning is Nehemiah 12. If you want to get your Bibles, turn there. If you're joining us for the first time, uh, we are in the ESV translation, especially if you're on a device and you're scrolling. You want to go to the ESV version, Nehemiah 12. We got two more weeks of Ezra and Nehemiah. So um, we're going to do Sunday in the park next week. We're not going to be in Ezra and Nehemiah. And then the following week, we're going to wrap this whole thing up. I have a post-it note here that says, I think this was from Rachel Dillon, and it says, Ronnie, the kid's story is David and Goliath. We will try and keep it quiet, but if you hear cheering, don't be alarmed. <laughs> I mean, that's like saying I'm not alarmed every week when the cheering happens every week like it always does, right? But I appreciate Rachel giving me the heads up on that. Um, it was on Wednesday the week before, not this last Wednesday, the week before Wednesday, that I realized the title of this message was called The Sound of Joy. And I, I paused um, because of everything that was happening that week in the world from sexual abuse scandals, if you guys have been following Southern Baptist Convention and all this stuff that, is, that, is, that has just been surfacing from that, um, to, of course, just these unbelievably tragic murders that happened in Uvalde, Texas, with all of these children being um, gunned down. And um, so I wondered if preaching a sermon called The Sound of Joy was a little tone deaf. And here's the thing, uh, pastors have options, right? I have options. Um, I have options for how to title my sermon. Um, I could have changed the title I could have even preached a different sermon that would have more specifically addressed some of that suffering and grief that was just permeating the nation. When something like that happens, we have to step back. We have to pause. We have to go, what is going, we have to say what is going on. We have to say, come Lord Jesus. We have to say, help those that are grieving something that just to all of us feels unimaginable. Um, these are brothers, many of these people are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to pull back. But as I dove, into Nehemiah 12, I just decided to stay put and leave the title alone. Um, because in preaching, one of the things that you want to do is you always want the title of a sermon to, to kind of capture the main point of the passage. And I think that this does. So if we think of praise, and we're going to talk about praise this morning. If we think of praise as being the act of proclaiming the greatness of God in our words and deeds, what we just did as we sang, then the sound of our joy will always come with shades of grief mixed in with it, right? But this is also what gives our joy the weight that it needs to be truly worshipful. Does that make sense? We're going to unpack that a little bit as we go through Nehemiah 12. One of the most meaningful worship services that I ever experienced was the, the Sunday after my dad had passed. Uh, so Melissa and I were sitting with our community group at the time um, in, the, in one of the pews where we were all like lined up in a line together with our arms around each other. They had just kind of come alongside of us. They were comforting us. It was, it was kind of a sight to behold. And in a moment, I still remember as just being profoundly moving and sad, one of the pastors acknowledged our grief from the platform. And then we all just stood up and we all praised God for his goodness. We all just sang songs of praise for his goodness. And, and believe it or not, listen, I'm just like you. I don't remember 
a lot of church services. But the grief contained in that one gave our singing and our praise a, a sense of gravity that I'm able to remember and then share with you guys right now 15 years later. And so what we understand is we, before we even dive into Nehemiah 12 that this is the, the nature of giving praise to God is that in that sound of joy, there is always going to be shades of grief. So as we think about everything that's going on, and we keep hearing about these shootings, and we don't know what to do with that, other than to stand back and go, God help us, right? We, we also understand that that doesn't cause us to pull back and to cease praising God, but it actually gives our praise a particular kind of weight. It gives our praise a particular kind of meaning that will not just make it memorable, but it'll do something in our hearts to shape and to reshape and to sort of ground them in who God is in all kinds of unimaginable things that are just going to continue to happen throughout the course of our life and the course of our nation, if that makes sense. So the Israelites, they knew something about grief. We've been reading about that since Ezra. They knew something about grief. They knew something about loss. They knew something about longing for a better world because they'd been held in captivity in Babylon and Persia all of these years. They knew they were captives. And they knew why. They lived in the tension of what might have been. Does that sound familiar to some of you? Living in the tension of what might have been? They were living in that tension. What might have been had they stayed faithful to a God who had been just unwaveringly faithful to them? They knew what their choices had been. They knew their choice to worship other gods had taken away their freedom ultimately. And by the way, that is exactly what happens as the result of our idolatry, of the gods that we worship, of the things that we give ultimate place and prominence to. We think God is too restrictive. We think that his commandments are too burdensome, that they're going to take away the happiness we might have if only we're given more freedom of choice, if only we had a little more autonomy. And every time we sort of bend into those things, bend into those, those places and those people and those material objects that we think are going to give us the freedom that we so long for and crave and desire, we end up being wrong every time. They end up flipping on us. They end up collapsing on us. When God gives us over to our desires, like he gave the Israelites over to their desires year after year, we don't become more free. We become more enslaved because our praise shifts from the creator to the creation. And you know, anything in creation, it just doesn't have the strength to hold the object of our praise. It doesn't have the arms and the hands and the heart that is capable enough to take our praise and to somehow transform us as we offer it to them. Only God can do that. And that's what the Israelites found out. And that's why as they're coming back out of captivity, as they're being brought back to the holy city, as they're being brought back to Jerusalem, they're coming back to what it means to praise God, to be God's people once again, to come back into blessing and favor with God. So here we've seen the last few weeks, they've entered Jerusalem. 
They've rebuilt its walls and gates. They brought back the festivals of remembrance and rejoicing that God had given them. They've renewed the covenant that God established with them from the time of Moses when he delivered them from the Egyptians and of the, from the slavery and from the oppression that they experienced and repopulating now the city so that it would become the center of worship and strength that it once was. And now we move into chapter 12 where they, they celebrate now the dedication of the wall around the temple. And so as we glance over verses 1 through 26, and that's all we're going to do, is glance over verses 1 through 26, we get a list of all the priests, all the Levites, who were appointed to organize and lead the people in praise and thanks. I will let you read that on your own time, and I am confident that when you get home today in the afternoon, that's exactly what you're going to do. You're going to read through that. You're going to take careful consideration to find an app that shows you how to pronounce all those names. You're going to do all the work that I get paid to do that I did not do this week with those names. All right? But what we want to do now is read how the celebration is described as we pick up in verse 27. So that's what I'm going to do and read 27 through 47, and then we're going to go from there. So verse 27, the dedication of the wall. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nepathites. Also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmavoth, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, and Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priest's sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachur, son of Asaph. Verse 36, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azareel, Meleliah, Gileah, Meah, Nathaniel, Judah, and Hanani with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate in the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north. And I followed them with half of the people on the wall, above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by, and by the gate of Yeshana, and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate, and they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. Verse 40, so both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me, and the priests Eliakim, Messiah, Miniamim, Micaiah, Elonai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Messai, Shemai, Eleazar, Uzai, Jehoanan, Melchijah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezariah as their leaders, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy, and the women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Verse 44, and on the day when we were appointed over the storerooms 
the contributions, the first fruits and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron's. And this is God's word, and that's where we're going to stop for today. So we see this great procession unfolding at the dedication of the wall that was going around the temple, man. They mentioned choirs. I'm sure the choirs on the south wall were complaining about the choirs on the north wall because that's what choirs do. If you've ever been in a church that has choirs, which is why we don't have choirs here at Substance Church. I just wanted to point that out because they mentioned choirs and maybe that's been your experience. But the first thing that we see here is that praise for what God had done and who God was, was their first response at the dedication of the wall. And by the way, that first response, that impulse of the Levites to organize a worship service was the right response because praise is the right response to God and to who God is and to everything that God has done. So you guys know we, I, lived, I was born and raised in California, lived there for 40 years, which put us, I don't know, not very many hours away from the Grand Canyon, which in 40 years, we never visited, right? It was one of those things where it's like, we'll get there, right? And Melissa was like, can we go see the Grand Canyon this weekend? To which I would reply, we'll get there, right? And I remember just uh, one day we were hanging out with some friends of ours that were, were just like us. They were California natives and they were older than us. And they had finally just gotten to the Grand Canyon, and so Melissa looked at, 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 at our friend, one of the, the, the wife, her name was Jane, and she goes, Jane, tell me how it was. How was the Grand Canyon? And Jane goes, eh. <laughs> and I said, I told you, I told you, it's just a bunch of cliffs, right? The point was that it was such an underwhelming reaction for, I don't know, one of the seven wonders of the world, you know? It was an underwhelming reaction. It was not what we were expecting. Um, I don't know what was going on with Jane that day. I, I don't know what was going on in her heart or her life to where she saw one of the seven wonders and she just shrugged and I think she said like pass the soul after that, right? But that's what happened. But it was a response that wasn't in alignment with what she saw, with what she was beholding. We don't always respond rightly to God and who God is and what God has done. We often complain, we do the opposite, right? We often question how we think he is responding to our lives. We distrust his heart because our circumstances aren't going the way that we think they should go. We have short memories is what we have. So did the Israelites. So we respond to God not based on his track record of faithfulness, but with kind of this, what have you done for me lately? type of, of heart. Uh, teenagers, teenagers just have a, a, just a reputation for doing this, right? Their memories are almost as short as their parents, 
memories. And that, see, I'm, I'm on your side today, teenagers. Your memories are almost as short as your parents' memories in terms of what's been done for you lately. But that's just intrinsic to all of us, right? We're forgetful. We forget about what God is doing and what he has done. And it causes us to pull back our praise. It causes us then to respond to God as if he's somebody who owes us something. Instead of looking around and going, I am in awe and wonder about all the things you've done. Even the timeline in which they've all unfolded, which of course is never as fast as my timeline, right? But praise, saying, God, you are great. You are wonderful. You are gracious. You are true. That's always the right response for God's people as they reflect on God. The Israelites had years to process all God was and all God had done in their captivity. And even as they had been shifted from Persia to Jerusalem, God had brought them back. He brought them back to Jerusalem. Would they finally be reestablished, reestablished as a nation? Would they finally come back together as God's people and be delivered out from under captivity? The people were hopeful as they were singing these songs, as they were seeing what was being unfolded. They were hopeful as they worshiped God throughout the city. And we see the Levites organizing a worship service so that they had the opportunity to rightly respond, so that they had the opportunity to raise their voice in song. And we, we have opportunity. You have opportunity. That's the autonomy that God has given you. That is the freedom that God has given you. That's the freedom God has given me. He's given us a, a freedom to recount his wondrous deeds like the psalmists remind us of. He's given us the freedom to say, hey, I need to stop. I need to pause. I need to, I need to step back and be a little more reflective in the way that I'm reacting to things and the way I'm responding to things. Because the way you react to something and the way you respond to something, in effect, is how you're reacting and responding to God. The first response here by the Israelites to the dedication of the wall was to respond in praise. They raised their voices in songs. They had a procession. And praise also led to their purification. It says in verse 30, how the Levites and the priests purified themselves and the people. And you know what that does for us? That reminds us of our place before a holy God. It was the first song that we sang this morning, only a holy God. I mean, if you have ever spent time with someone who is great at what they do, you're reminded pretty much of how much you're not great at it, right? That happens to me like daily, all the time, right? You stand back in awe, you stand back in amazement, and you picture how bad it would be if you attempted to do what they're doing, because you don't got those gifts. God has not given you those skills. I think of, uh, I think of Jared Akers, who he works on chimneys. He's this amazing chimney artist. I'm just going to say that. I don't know if that's what he calls himself, but I like that. But he does this amazing work, and I see Jared post pictures of him standing on top of chimneys on Facebook doing the amazing work he does. And I just think, I'm so glad Jared has never asked me to get on that chimney with him for good reason, right? I'm, and I'm just, I'm in awe 
of what he does. And with awe comes sobriety because I know how much I should not be doing it. Singing praises to God is the right response because it's showing that we are in awe of who God is and who we are not. We're reminded that we're not God when we sing praises to God. We're reminded that we are not deserving of what God is deserving of. That's why when we open up our services with a call to worship, that's why when we sing songs of praise and adoration, it's to God. We don't, we don't single somebody out in the congregation and go, you know what, this week what we're going to do is we're going to grab Mike Chan and we're going to sing praises to Mike Chan. Sorry, Mike, I just picked you out of that one. Because only God is worthy of our praise. So to be people then who are worthy to even sing praises, we need purification. We need the purification that comes from being washed clean by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which all of this is just a shadow of for what we see happening when Jesus comes onto the scene. And you know, that washed clean status, it causes our hearts to be changed and to be reshaped. And it causes our boasting and our tendency to boast. And by the way, our God-given tendency to boast, it causes us to boast in the right thing. It causes us to boast in the Lord. Like the Apostle Paul just reminds us over and over again in the New Testament. My boast will be in the Lord. It makes me think of when Melissa makes something delicious in the kitchen, which she does like all the time. I need you to pray for me because I'm trying so hard and she just doesn't help me too much with all of that. But when she makes something really, really great in the kitchen, I, I mean, I, I praise the food. But I, but I don't really praise the food as much as I praise the chef, right? It's really not about the food. I mean, it is. Okay, it is. But it's really, about, it's really about the chef, right? It's like the food channel isn't really about the food. Because as you're watching the food channel, you're, you're not really getting in touch with the food. It's about the chefs that make the food. You watch the food channel to watch Bobby Flay, right? The maker of the food right? So that you can buy Bobby Flay products, right? So that you can be a chef maybe someday like Bobby Flay. I'm just going to stop right there with Bobby, all right? But the right response for us as we consider everything in our lives is this. Look at God and what he has done. Wow. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together, the psalmist reminds us of in Psalm 34. Praise is the right response for God's people. Praise was also an audible testimony to God's work. Look what it said in 43 there. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. God made them rejoice with great joy. 
God had made them to rejoice. They can't even conjure up that stuff. All that praise and all that rejoicing. I mean, you come into this warehouse and you just woke up 30 seconds before you walk through those doors and you think it's impossible that I can praise God even this morning. Well, you know what? It is impossible. It is impossible for you to praise God this very morning. But it has nothing to do with the fact that you've had to get an entire family out the door and get yourself out the door and get through the doors and wake yourself up and deal with all the thoughts and all the chaos. That has nothing to do with it. It's just that intrinsically, our hearts aren't drawn and bent towards praise. That's why I pray every morning on Sunday that God would help us to praise him. Why? Because it says it right here. God made them rejoice. We need God's help to praise him. And when we do praise him, it's a testimony to God's work in our hearts and in our life. God made them rejoice with great joy, and the sound was heard far away. I love that verse so much I could die with joy. It's like Tom Cruise so wisely reminded us in Jerry Maguire. And that'll be the only time I ever say Tom Cruise said something wise. We live in a cynical world. Remember at the end when he says that? For those of you who are old enough to have watched Jerry Maguire. But the Israelites did too. They lived in a cynical world. They had cynicism in their hearts. And yet on this day, the sound they made to God was heard. It wasn't a sound that just existed for themselves, but it permeated. It went out. It went over. It went under. The sound was heard far away. The notes didn't simply just ring out vertically into the heavens to God himself, but they rang out horizontally to the people who surrounded them. Their praise was an audible testimony to God and his work. We were at a pastors and wives retreat in Florida last year, and we had this worship service that we did in the public square. So picture the resort, and you got all the rooms, you know, surrounding, and then you got this square in the middle with grass, and we had set up in the grass, and uh, we put together a, a worship service. Um, I mean, the music was, was not quiet, all right, on any level. And as the band started playing, this really crazy thing happened. People started coming out onto their balconies to hear what all the noise was about. And I cringed at first because I thought, oh no, here, here it comes, here comes the complaints. They're gonna shut us down. Even though they gave us permission to do it, these people were coming out on the balconies to hear what all the commotion was about. And I'm just assuming that they're just not going to be happy about it at all. But when we looked closer, the most amazing thing happened, which is that people were singing along to the words. It was crazy. It was crazy how little I know, right? I know nothing. I thought one thing in reality, something else was happening. The sound was heard far away and it had not just gone into the ears, but it had dropped into the hearts of people who were at a resort not knowing that there was going to be other brothers and sisters there singing. The sound was heard far away. When our lives reflect that, when our lives reflect a heart of praise and thanksgiving for God, it, it, it speaks something glorious 
and uncommon to a cynical world. Why is that? Well, because they're getting a glimpse of God's glory. Again, that doesn't mean we don't grieve or we don't let people experience that. Because that also provides people a glimpse of people who don't grieve without hope. But sometimes we think our praise lacks power or we think it lacks testimony, but it's just the opposite. When you are a person whose life reflects praise to God in word and indeed the world sees something otherworldly. They hear the sound of joy that God has put in your hearts. And by the way, when it is mixed with grief, it speaks of grace and it speaks of mercy and it speaks of an uncommon strength amidst weakness. Praise also reconnected them to their heritage, if you read verse 45 and 46. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So praise at the dedication of the wall, strengthened their faith as it connected them to past generations who trusted in the Lord with their faith, their weak faith, and their thanksgiving. And by the way, this should fill you and it should fill me with so much encouragement when you think of past generations who sing the words that we just sang as they persevered through so much grief and so much suffering, you're reminded that as they endured, you will endure. Trusting the Lord with a mix of joy and grief in your hearts. And by the way, this is literally happening all over the world right now. On Sunday morning, Christians raising their voices to God, praising him for his goodness and greatness. I remember we were in Singapore, this was 12 years ago, and it was Sunday morning, and we were just walking around the town, and we heard this sound. And I was like, do you hear that? I was with Melissa. And she's like, hear what? And I'm like, There's, I hear something familiar. And we, we were just walking, and we were, trying to, we were trying to walk toward the sound. And we finally got closer, and it ended up being a, a church in Singapore that was singing in Christ alone. And it was like, here we were. 20 million miles away from where we lived. I don't know geography. And, um, and there we were connected because of a church's faithfulness to praise the Lord. We were connected to them by the words that we were hearing sung. And in that moment, what did we realize? We're not actually far away from anything. We're connected to our brothers and sisters everywhere we go. And it was the sound of their joy that reminded us of that connectivity we had. We think of Ames, Iowa. Another shooting happened this week. This time at Cornerstone Church. And somehow, you guys, somehow, I don't know how, that congregation is gathering and praising the Lord right now. 
with tears streaming down their face and with grief overflowing from their hearts, remembering what has been lost. Why are they doing that? Couldn't they just take a Sunday off? They could have. But this is what God's people do. And it astounds a world that wonders what to do with their own grief. But we have a heritage. And by responding to God the way our brothers and sisters did in the past, our brothers and sisters of the future will hear this sound and God will use that sound to draw them to himself. Look what it says in Psalm 25, if you want to turn with me to Psalm 25. The Psalms are very helpful for us here in all of this. I'm getting there just like you. Psalm 25 verses 4 says, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. For they have been from old. The mercy of God, the love of God. This is not new for us. But... It ends up having an impact on our lives that feels like it was the first time it's ever happened. And this is what the Israelites were experiencing. This is what our brothers and sisters in Ames, Iowa are experiencing. This is what our grieving brothers and sisters in Uvalde, Texas are experiencing as they come together in their grief, praising the Lord, the sound of joy going up into the ears of God and spreading out into the ears of the people that are stepping back going, how do they do that? How is this possible for them to respond in such a way? Shades of grief are always contained in the sounds of joy. But when we respond rightly to God with praise, we give an audible testimony to his glory and we reconnect with those in the past who've experienced the same things that we have. Just because they didn't have the internet back then doesn't mean they weren't suffering with the same things that we suffer with. Don't be a chronological snob about the things that we go through today that we think they didn't deal with in the past. Because it's not all that different. Because grief and trauma, it's not something that's sort of progressed through the years. It's something that universally we deal with. And as God's people, we are told we will deal with. Praise is what springs out of the mouths of those whose hearts have been washed clean by Jesus. You might look at your life and you see so many hard roads. You see so many difficult paths. You see so many tragic moments. You see so many regrettable years. But then there's Jesus who walked the hardest road, 
who stepped down the most difficult path in your place so that you could praise him for the grace that is yours and the glory that is his. You have a king whose temple has become your very heart, who is dwelling inside you through his spirit, who is upholding you even if you had the most anxiety-filled week in recent memory, like I did. By responding in praise, you give a testimony to the God who continues to lovingly preserve you. Jesus is always drawing near. He's always drawing near to you, always moving in closer, always listening, always understanding, always comforting. So we can offer Jesus the sound of joy like his people did years ago in Luke 19. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for what? All the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is our King, Jesus And the place he brings us to is one where we, in the midst of the depth and the heaviness and the darkness of our grief, offer him the sound of joy that he has provided for our hearts because now salvation isn't theoretical anymore. But it has been given to us through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the praise that you have in your hearts to offer Jesus. And you know, when it feels like you can't open your mouth, you know who you have? You have a brother and a sister to the right and the left of you that are gonna hold you up and say, sing with me because God is good. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for Christ for the reason why we can, in our grief, have a joy in our hearts that you have given us voices to cry out and to sing out and to shout out to you, Lord. We pray that you would open up our hearts to do that so that a weary world would be able to hear and see and be changed by the work that you are doing in and through us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.